Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to Umlink Energy Speaks Back, powered by Hark. My name is Paul Webb. I'm the founder of B2B Energy, and I'm your host. And weekly, I present to you experts from around the world. Welcome to episode 87, where my special guest today brings an energy consciousness case study from Mitchells and Butler, the hospitality group, which I urge you to read once you've listened to this podcast. Our purpose, as always, is to provide a good understanding of energy management knowledge from around the world, which is available today for us to deliver savings that impact on our planet. And on our journey of knowledge sharing, we would like to thank our sponsors, who are SmartCall for their AC initiatives, Umlink, who are taking the confusion out of energy management, Park Systems, renowned for their energy software, Clean Energy Revolution for their knowledge and networking through LinkedIn, B2B Energy for the 11-week energy program, Alexis Energy for their power management initiatives, Led by Vision for their LED and controls, Simewatts for the electronics and EV transition initiatives, Carbon Black Global for their waste to energy initiatives, and Synethex for their insulation and coating. And lastly, our certificate partners, Esther Energy. Our special guest today not only is a doctor, but she has become an expert in the hospitality sector. So without any further ado, I give you Dr. Samantha Moody. Good evening, Sam, and how are you today? Yes, I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. Or should I say Dr. Sam? I do get called Dr. Sam a lot, actually, distinguishing me from the other Sams that I work with, but Sam's just fine. (laughs) Brilliant. And the audience will notice that we've got to speak quietly because you have some friends with you today. I do, yes. I've just hatched seven Bantam chicks today. Um, they're a day early, so I expected that it would be quite quiet in the uh, in the study this evening, but they had other ideas, so they're cheaping away in the background, so apologies for Brilliant. that. I've never interviewed chicks before in the background, so this is the first for us both, yeah? Um, so, Sam, we have met physically in real life. I don't meet many of my podcasters, but we've met um, in real life, we met last week at the conference, and you've done an amazing uh, presentation, which we're going to hear about shortly. But um, I've seen your presentation before as well on an Enco training course, and obviously today is all about Enco as well. Um, so, for the benefit of our audience, can you give us some background to yourself um, and you know what you've been doing over the last couple of years regarding this? Um, absolutely. So, um, try and be brief. It's a bit of a saga. But um, after graduating in my early 20s doing chemistry, um, I thought that I'd always been particularly passionate about sustainability and climate change, uh, energy related things. One of my top dreams was to have an electric car when I was only about 10 years old and still a lot of litter picks and things like that. But after a few years of doing sort of climate change activism work with youth groups, political groups, um, intergenerational justice things in the political area with the UNFCCC and climate change negotiations. I sort of thought it wasn't really my bag just talking about CO2 emissions and polar bears and ice caps and things. It wasn't really getting the attention of politicians and things. 
So um, I decided that I was going to retrain in energy management and that it would be a lot better. We'd get to the end goal of reducing emissions if we talked about the bottom line. So I decided to um, look for, for some kind of engineering degree and do something to do with energy management. And at the time, the engineering doctorate had just come out. So this NGD program was an, an energy or sustainability related problem that was identified within industry by a sponsoring company. And then they take the project out to different universities almost to sort of tender it, depending on whatever experts that they had in-house. Um, so I was interviewed at Reading University by Mitchells and Butler's PLC, which were the largest pub operating company at the time. So they had almost 20, uh, almost 2,000 restaurants, um, 17 different brands, 40,000 employees, absolutely massive, um, massive energy consumption um, with a lot of interesting uh, problems. Um, and they really wanted somebody to look at the future of catering um, and energy reduction in the food service sector over sort of 10, 20 years and what the future might hold for um, energy prices and how they were going to reduce it specifically from from the catering side of things rather than the whole building. Um, so I was completely fresh faced. They deliberately said that they chose someone who'd never worked in waitressing or, or ever done any kind of um, chefing at all that weren't sort of corrupted by the um we've always done it this way. So we're always going to do it this way attitude. Um, so they got me completely no experience at all, just, just the chemist. And then over seven years, um, I'd completed 10 master's modules from sort of climate change stuff to energy and buildings um, and everything in between, really. It was very, very wide, wide ranging. And then spent 75% of the time with the company um, and the, the project itself um was was hugely well received i was quite lucky it was very um pr friendly there's a lot of pictures of burgers and beers and things compared with some of my friends doing new values of glazing and different types mm -hmm. of concrete and things which could have been quite dry in some areas so i always got rolled out of conferences to talk about uh, kitchens and pubs and and booze and things um so uh, yeah it, it was all over the place from from energy benchmarking to to publishing um new figures and statistics on what the sector sort of really consumed um to developing a sophisticated model for modeling menus um and energy reduction depending on different cooking appliances different meals that they served um, and then a massive behavior change project in between as well and did it cover the whole spectrum of their business um, I'd say so, really, given that sort of, you know, food service was the number one priority. I mean, big companies like that are essentially property companies, especially Mitchells and yeah. Butler's. They own most of their properties. Yeah. Um, so obviously anything to improve the energy consumption and the the um, uh, the decks and things at the time um, were all absolutely critical to, to the business. For me, as I said, they um, they were quite keen that I focus on the catering operation. And a lot of the reason why they approached me was because genuinely nothing had been done at the time. So it started in 2011, which is longer ago than I like to admit now. Um, but they they just couldn't find anything. So even the, the head of energy, environment and sustainability at the time, Richard Felgate, he said that, you know, he'd, he'd had a look. Sibzi had developed a guide F, uh, sorry, not guide F, uh, TM50. Um, which was the energy efficiency in commercial kitchens. But when you start to look through it, and it's got a few few good ideas, they're quite generic, perhaps change your freezer and get a more um, efficient freezer, change your child grill for a more efficient child grill, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, even the sort of energy benchmarks that they had in the publication, when I tracked down, I looked at the references and that said it came from a book from 19... 
98. I thought that was quite a long time ago. And I found that book. And then that said that they hadn't produced the data, that it had come from a book from 1989. So then I got the British Library involved. Where's this book from 1989? Got that. 1978. And I stopped at that point and it looked like every single publication had just taken this previous data on what pubs or restaurants should should use in terms of energy benchmarks from um, sort of kilowatt hours of gas per meter squared or whatever and none of it had been updated for four decades and you think about how much pubs have changed since then from the sort of wet lead boozer to these these really quite fancy fancy restaurants are all quite food led and you know duty on alcohol has changed so much um so the very first thing that i had to do was go and, and actually assess it um, using a load of SIBSI methodology. And I actually had them update their benchmarks in the end with the, um, the new data that I managed to um, to provide for them. So you created your own benchmark, basically, going yeah, forward? Yes, so pretty much the first thing that I did. I worked with an amazing team of people, not, not just at Mitchells and Butlers, but also um, a group called Carbon Statements that uh, are now the Hospitality um, Net Zero Forum. Um, mm. So they had got a lot of data on um, other multi um brand large pub and restaurant operators and then i obviously had mitchell's and butlers which was almost 2000 at the time and every site that had amr data um was was shoved into my database and the very first paper that i published um was just assessing all of it in terms of what the best, most reliable metric to use was. That was one of the first questions. I thought, how can this, you know, stumble at the first hurdle like that? But almost all the other buildings that are in the, the sort of TM22 benchmarks were kilowatt hours per meter squared. But it didn't matter how I cut the data. It just, it didn't, it didn't give a decent relationship. Any, any pub of any size could seem seemingly use a random amount of energy use. So I got some people who are a little bit better at maths than me um, to run it through a statistical program and, sh- and show me how to how to use it all. And I ended up making a um, multilinear regression model and using every bit of data that I had from food numbers, numbers of meals, noms, we say in the business, uh, nods for number of drinks, the uh, meter squared, meter cubed, so the, the area, the volume of the building, you know, tall ceilings and, and that kind of thing. Um, opening hours, number of patio heaters, absolutely anything that I could find against uh, electricity and gas usage to try and tease out some kind of model of whether or not a pub was using um, sort of the average amount of energy use um, compared with someone that was using way too much given those metrics or somebody who should be technically sort of rewarded, pat on the back and a visit to see how how are you still producing this amount of um, amount of food turnover, but using such a low amount of energy use. Um, so it, it was really sort of data driven at the time, this this massive modelling exercise just to um, to look at whether or not we could predict a reward or, for a better word, punish um, certain sites that were using far, far in excess of the um, the average. And in the end, that data set was over 20,000 pubs. It was more than half of the British managed estate of restaurants. So obviously that was hugely valuable to Sibsi um, to be able to, to have that data. So I, I anonymised it. And then provided it to them to to do with what they what they will. And actually, the paper itself won their annual award. I think it was called um, the most valuable contribution to the art and science of building service engineering. Um, so I got That's that. Amazing. That's amazing. I was just like I said. I'd like to say that it was all my good work, but first of all, it was a fantastic team. Secondly, it was yeah. a great data set, um, and finally, it was just 
they desperately needed someone to do something like that. This sector had been completely overlooked and, and even more um, crazy to add further weight to it. When the sort of introductory paragraphs of my thesis, when it was finally written in um, 2016, um, the catering sector uses double the energy consumption of the rest of the food chain. And I, I couldn't quite get my head around that. So it's, it's equivalent to agriculture and, and food retail. Um, and it had just been completely overlooked. 24 terawatt hours a year. And that, that was when I looked in 2015. Um, mm -hmm. So if you think about all of the energy consumption from growing the food, processing the food, getting it through supermarkets and through retail, that chunk at the end, commercial food service preparation, is the same amount as the rest of the food chain. And there was nobody studying it. And still to this day, I'm unaware of any PhD, masters, any academic research, just just what our team had done. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit. And you was first of all, you was like this climate change activist that was trying this, you know, to approach the government and lobby the government, etc. And then you've gone to the the other side basically where you can make a difference. How did that make you feel? Well, I mean, I think I have the best job in the world. Like, I, I really do. Every yeah. day I get up and I feel like I'm I'm saving the world. I, I tell That's myself amazing. Yeah. to be able to get out of bed. That is what I tell myself to, yeah. to get rest in the morning. Um, but really, it was you know I was I was younger and I was a bit more optimistic at the time. So I thought that being in the sort of youth climate movement was one of the best um, places for me. Um, and I was I was certainly doing a lot of voluntary work to um, beef up my CV because I knew I was going for a career change pretty early. I'd only worked in chemistry for three years, I think. Um, and I thought I've, I've, I need to get as much experience as possible. And I fell in with an amazing crowd at UK YCC, the, youth, the UK Youth Climate Coalition. And one of their unbelievable USPs was that they had managed to get a member um, of the, the organisation to um, the UN FCCC's climate negotiations every year. So I think it started in, well, I want to say COP18, 19. Um, so they, start, they started to send a delegate to be the British youth climate um, delegate. So the, the British youth delegate to the, um, to the UN. And then I was fortunate enough to do that in... Cancun, the um, intercessionals in Bonn in 20, ooh, I want to say 2010. Yes. So um, so I managed to actually get into the negotiations and even pose a question to Christina Figueres, the um, UN Secretary for, for Climate Change Negotiations at the time. So that that really set the scene quite early to, well, I've already been to the UN at this point. What should I do now? <laughs> but it really, it really impacted me where I felt like, it was an awful lot of arguing and making no progress. And I, I felt quite um, disillusioned after that. And especially mm. my local sort of Tory heartland round here that are trying to engage with um, a lot of politicians that genuinely had a lot of money in oil and gas and aviation. I thought, I just, I cannot keep barking up that tree. And the more I would talk about money and the savings to be had, the more people started listening. And I thought, yeah, I, th I think I'm going to have to leave the emissions side of things and go for the financial. And That's interesting. Yeah. Things. That's an interesting um, point. I like that because I'm finding that as well. People will, they're not interested in us saving the planet, but they're interested in us saving their pockets, which is very key, especially at the moment. 
Yes, yes, definitely. And my goodness, particularly in the hospitality sector at the moment, they are on their absolute knees. Um, exactly. and sadly, they, they were even before COVID, really, between sort of labour um, shortages, stock shortages, delivery problems, supply chain mm. issues, Brexit, and then, and then coronavirus. So that was really the last kick. In and, a, and now the energy crisis up. that's hitting us. Now, this we, has we've, happened. Oh. We've seen energy prices rise 180% recently on some of our hospitality clients that we've been looking at absolutely it's... and with all of the um sort of credit rating issues over covid i've i've heard of quite a few that are just being refused supply at the moment so yeah. they can't get energy contracts it's, it's absolutely dire one client i have that only had three pubs their bill was eighty thousand pounds a year so i mean they really do use more than the supermarket most um sort of average pub pub companies um and yeah eighty thousand pounds a year from three sites shot up to two hundred and thirty thousand yeah. pounds and that's just completely unsustainable i mean yeah. it, to the point where they they will have to close they can't pay that bill yeah. uh, on their you know on their knees recovering from covid and i genuinely believe um that they don't have very many controllable costs, sort of labour, um, minimum wage increases. There's nothing really they can do about that. Supply chain, not much they can do about that. But energy is their number one controllable cost. And for these types of businesses, it's often the second or third largest cost after labour and, and food and drink. My, it's, it's energy. And that's my favourite saying. After their people and the property comes the yeah. the energy cost. So, Sam, the actual... Um, process you went through regarding the savings um i'm guessing that it's purely behavioral pattern sort of approach there was no technology involved regarding the led lighting or technology or was there um not for the majority of the thesis actually so it broke down into about was it five chapters the first one was the benchmarking stuff that i mentioned so that was just how am i going to measure that there's been progress so a lot of sort of data and statistics was the first part the next part was a massive um, energy monitoring um, year or so. So, yeah, it was about a year and a half. Um, so I had AMR data already, but we um, decided, uh, the team at MMB to really granularly monitor absolutely everything, uh, monitor the hell out of 14 um, businesses. So uh, most of them were sort of a, a classic uh, rural pub um chain some of them were grill led like a harvester and um, one or two uh, one um no two toby carvery type businesses um so we we monitored all that and then that that set us up as a really good test bed for starting to look at the possibility of, of upgrading certain appliances and doing things differently because we had all the monitoring there um but then i moved on to um writing that up so my second paper was electricity use in the commercial kitchen and the most striking part of watching these kitchens for a year or so was the behavior which which was also the the difficulty that i had with the amr data in the first place it was it was so difficult to get anything to match up or predict energy use and i knew it was because the behavior was so poor from it from an energy point of view that you just couldn't see anything else under it you could change mm. this or you could change that but really it was about everybody turning stuff on as soon as they get in in the morning and leaving it on until they get um they leave so um i realized in the sort of second of five years 
um, the, 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 the largest scope for um, savings was behaviour change. Um, and that paper, actually, one of the most striking results was in a, a salamander grill. So the sort of overfired cheese melter type grill where you might put a steak and cheese sandwich on, um, on a tray and it will be um, melted from above. Um, and with that, the average consumption was something like 50 kilowatt hours a day, 49, I think it was average from the 14 kitchens that we looked at. And they would typically go on at sort of eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, they'd be switched on, they'd be left on maximum all day because don't get me wrong, guest satisfaction and getting the food out the door is the number yeah, one priority. Fine, so yeah. every, everything goes on. It's a terrible environment to work in as well in terms of thermal comfort. It's absolutely freezing and boiling at the same time, really. Yeah, um, yeah. So everything goes on straight away, left on maximum, flat on uh, all day and then turned off at 10 at night before they go home. And then after mentioning to one particularly keen chef, we're, we're actually watching what you're doing here. We've got, we've got all of your energy data coming straight to my, um, my laptop every day. Do you think that you could be as, as energy thrift as possible? Can you turn it on as late as possible? Perhaps turn it down when you're not losing it or turn it off between the sort of lull of lunch yeah. and dinner um, and then turn it off as soon as you can. Um, and bless him, that guy got it down to or uh, something like 14 kilowatt hours. So in today's money, it was basically 19 pounds 60 for the average behavior and down to five pounds 60 for the, for the chef that um, was trying as hard as possible. And scale, that's one day, that is one day's usage. So scaling that up to a year and then scaling that up for 1,800 sites, nine million pounds, nine million pounds of savings. Um, and that's, that's one of the main operators. Obviously, you've got Green King and Weatherspoons and Marsdens and Fullers and all these other massive pub chains that uh, are suffering from the same problem because they have a very transient workforce. They have a, a group of people that might, if they get trained on this kind of um, on this kind of thing, they might be gone in three or four months. So it's quite quite an uphill battle at the start, anyway, to get the board to invest in staff training and a behavior change campaign because it didn't really feel um like it would be a a long-term um high return project for them at the time but we yeah. we definitely uh turned turns that attitude around quite quickly how did you so you found a good chef how did you then spread that word of that how do you multiply him was it easy or was that your challenge it still is my challenge because, as I said, it's not it's not the number one concern for most people. It is making sure that the appliances are, mm. are doing what they need to do and getting the, the sort of high throughput of food out the door as soon as they can. Um, but first of all, um, I work with some amazing people. So the, the very initial study on this grill, I'm just going to have a look at what you're doing and I'm writing it up for my thesis. Um, Richard Felgate took that straight to the board and it was very, very convincing numbers. So he he knew that it would be able to get some buy-in at that point. And then another chap that I worked with for um, seven years or so, Martin Schwaller, he was on the board of the EMA looking at behaviour change um, to the Energy Managers Association uh, at the time as well. So he was very, very invested in um, sort of personality theories and gamification of things. Um, we also had... Uh, Jim Sharman, um, who, I, who I work with now, who um, liked to um, look at the numbers and and come up with uh, sort of these um, these graphs in the background. 
Um, so between us, we've managed to um, get all of the numbers and all of the tips and all the sort of workshops and games together um, to start rolling out large workshops and a big behavior change competition and an ideas competition um, within uh, a year or so and save about 20 percent. Um, so for them at the time, it was about £100,000 in a couple of months um, for a very, very small um, initial sort of cost of, of the prizes, things like iPads and days out and parking permits and a few other um, really, really interesting little bits um, that we that we managed to do. So it's, it was hard to get a lot of people's buy in at the start. But I definitely saw some amazing things happen from people just printing out the graphs that they were given every week and sticking them up in the um, the staff room. And you could mm -hmm. observe people going up to it and having a look. Oh, have we done this week compared with the last four weeks compared with this time last year? Their, mm -hmm. their lowest consumption overnight or pre-trade um, and always trying to get to that, that lowest bit and having um, a competition with other brands nearby in the same district or uh, the rest of the brand or, or just their local area um, or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, we managed to freshen it up quite a lot to try and keep the momentum going um, by focusing on different appliances. So maybe uh, the first fortnight looking at the grill, the next fortnight looking at lighting, the next fortnight looking at sort of the bar area, coffee machines, bottle fridges, this kind of stuff, and, and trying to change it up. Because I think one of the initial attitudes was that behavior change doesn't last. And you need to, things like stickers and posters need to change frequently to, to keep people's mm -hmm. interest. Did you introduce a raspberry and a chocolate at one time? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's right. So uh, <laughs> I think one of the most important things in a, a sort of a multi-site business like this um, is well, quite a complex business like these is that there's there's so many other people that have an influence on energy consumption that's not not just the chefs or the or the front of house staff or even just the procurement in the office that the head office that specify all the equipment you've got cleaners that come in in the morning they're the ones that turn the lights on and they're yeah. often told or perhaps they're not they're um, contract cleaners that might not be part of the business so they don't really have much of an incentive to turn the lights off um when they when they go home if they're doing it sort of four in the morning or something in the winter um, mm -hmm. so trying to engage things others like security staff and cleaners um was something that um the team were quite keen to do and there's a really really tricky balance between sort of shaming people because that mm -hmm. that's the sort of climate activist world that i grew up in is you shouldn't be doing this think of the children um and the uh the um, congratulating people for the baby steps that they do. And one of the really cool things that uh, one of my colleagues came up with was the um, the raspberry and, and coal approach. Uh, so the um, security staff in the head office were sort of empowered to decide whether or not people were going to get chocolates put on their keyboards um, overnight when they'd left the building or raspberries um, or pieces of coal for, for leaving their computers on overnight. Um, so that was sort of a tongue in cheek um, yeah, yeah. shaming thing I suppose but it also worked really well because they weren't we weren't really explicit with the rules at the time so it wasn't turn your computer off and you will win a reward the idea was to get people talking and, and try and suss out what was happening so mm. I mean, why have I got a raspberry on my desk oh you've got some <laughs> chocolate what have you done and it just sort of started a water cooler type conversation about it um, and let's see if people could work it out over a period of, of a few weeks. It was the same kind of thing for on the spot rewards. Um, so we had a, a number of energy auditors that went out to the businesses um, to give training and, and support to um, sites that were underperforming using that benchmark metric. So even if they were really busy or they were really big or they were open longer, if this 
model, this equation came out and said, actually, this is way above average. They'd get a visit or perhaps if they were really low, way low, way under average, they would also get a visit as well to see what we can yeah, learn. Yeah. And the, the energy auditors would have a bottle of wine or a couple of boxes of uh, Quality Street on hand to just give immediate rewards when they saw, oh, your time clock's been changed and the, the uh, British summertime is all up to date. Here you go. Have this. And that, that got people thinking, oh, I wonder what I can get if I, if I yeah, do yeah. this. So um, we was doing all this process, the level of savings, the amount of time that was invested in it and your time, et cetera, th- there's a cost to all of that. What is the payback of all of this cost as such? Did you ever put figures on that? I did, yes. So with the behaviour change campaign, it was quite specifically, um, we got investment of £25,000, which sounds like quite a lot for prizes, Mm. but it really quickly added up between the different types of competitions we were doing. So within this annual competition lasted 12 months, there were um, three or four competitions that lasted three or four months for uh, overnight savings reductions, daily savings reductions, comparison to last year, pre-trade overnight, um, all these kinds of things. Also the competitions between brands and between districts and and head office and head office floors and all those kinds of things were quite, and then per brand for a, a company with sort of 15, 17 brands at the time, even if you just had one iPad for 700 quid, it quite quickly added up on in terms of the prizes. But as I said, the, the savings are absolutely staggering. So the example I gave on the grill, that was a 71% reduction from the grill, which when you scale that up in today's money, and obviously prices were quite different then actually. We're looking back over it recently, yeah, I realized yeah. it was like something like 12p per kilowatt for electric wow. at the time. Um, but in today's money, that's that's nine million pounds worth of savings just from that grill. So the the paybacks that I've had a look at overall is 90 million kilowatt hour savings, which was, yeah, 100 grand in three months, 10 million pounds over a year. So the return on that was was immediate. It was was within a week's. Um, So it was the highest return on investment campaign projects that the the company had seen. Um, And obviously I get that. In, in a pub, especially M&B had one of the largest, one of the longest operating pubs in the country at the time. You have to do things like replace carpets and paint it and get a new bar and get new stalls and things. But I don't really know how they work out the return on investment of sort of decorating projects and things. But energy, my goodness, some of this stuff is 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 absolutely mad. LED lighting at the company that paid back in, in two and a half months. Wow. Yeah, next time you go into a restaurant, count the number of light bulbs. It's absolutely insane. There's yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. all behind the bar and all in the bottle fridges and all yeah. of the spotlights and the pendants and the, the fancy sort of cage, uh, galvanized steel cages that some of them have. And yeah, there's there's a lot of light bulbs in these establishments. So yeah, changing from um, old, uh, old tungsten bulbs and even the old energy saving ones for LEDs. Very, very expensive, but it, it returns very, very quickly. And I think really now... To look at the sector and think, yeah, there's a lot that they could do because bless them, it's it's not been the easiest sector to change. They've done things the way that they've done for for decades, hundreds of years, really. A lot of these things, you know, an oven is a heated, uninsulated box that's basically stayed the same for a hundred years. So there's a lot of uh, technological work. 
But actually, for a sector that's got no capital, they've got no money at all, you can't go in with a let's do the LEDs, it's low hanging fruit, because it costs a million pounds to upgrade an estate like that. But a behaviour change campaign that's well thought out with decent incentives and are well matched for the sort of culture and the generation theory and the personality types and, and all the rest, it could pay back immediately for a really small investment. So actually, I'd say it's the, the number one thing uh, to, to look at. And has your case study been put forward now onto the ENCO case studies now? Yes, yeah. So I was I was very uh, privileged and honoured to get their um, their practitioner status for it just last week. Um, it should be on the website in the next week or so, I believe. And the thesis that you wrote, the documentation, is that available now to people to download uh, or can so- they get in it? I I own the IP on it, so I can provide it to um, to anybody. Um, the papers themselves are only really downloadable from um, academic databases. Um, yeah, yeah. But I have, uh, you know, as author, I have uploaded them on my own website fairly recently, actually, in the last year or so. And some some of them are sort of five years old now. Um, yeah. But. I think one one of the most important things, which isn't really covered in the ENCO side of things, but all of these learnings for behaviour um, and you know what what pub tr- uh, companies sort of should use in inverted commas, um, <clears throat> that was all the first half of the thesis. So the second half um, was all about cooking practices and obviously behaviours ingrained in all of that, but how you can tease out what the lowest energy template kitchen should be given a menu, which was a lot more complex than I thought it was going to be at the time, which it took more than 50% of the time and the effort of the project was all building a model to look at what they cook um, and how they cook it. Um, and I've, I've recently put that um, on, um, on my website because I, I feel like it's so important for, for not you know not just the sector as one of the first things that they could do to survive these difficult times, but also for, for the planet as the the activist in me, it's um it's almost criminal sometimes the amount of yeah. uh, of energy being used when it doesn't have to be. You might think it does because of the um the really busy periods that all sort of pubs and restaurants go through from Christmas and Mother's Day and and even Halloween actually seems to be quite a, a, a money maker. Um, they have a perception that they need for combi ovens because of when it's really busy. But um, this sort of tool that I developed was to try to get them to um, specify their kitchens a bit more appropriately for the food that they actually sell and save hundreds of thousands of pounds a year um, on that basis. And is that at chef level or head office level? It's both really, because as I said, one of the main things that I got from the um, initial energy um, monitoring exercise was this this behaviour thing. So that grill mm. stood out, 70, 70% savings just for better behaviour management in this grill. Um, but one of the other aspects was specification. So um, of those 14 restaurants, several of them had four, char- uh, four combi ovens. Um, so microwave steam combi ovens and they do the bulk of the work so they might do the the pies and things like that Um, they most of them had four but energy data tells quite a lot more than just how much energy they're using you can see every time the oven is used by the peak so you've got sort of a standard energy use maybe 3000 watts are being drawn a second for um, 
just keeping the box warm. But every time they open the door and the thermostat detects the cold air rushing in, it will peak. So you can see the peaks are when mm. food has been put in and it's been um, been programmed. But when you watch them all the time, like I do in my exciting life, they um, they, they you can see that all four of them are on, but only two of them are ever used. Yeah. Um, so in some ways... I remember rightly as well, they've got like a button on them for standby, haven't they? Yes, yeah, some of them do. Um, so it's quite old models at the time, but I've I've right. um, I've seen some sort of rationale other models are available. But I've seen yeah, some yeah. Um, rationale ovens recently that that you can you can almost use your phone. They use sort of Internet of Things technology, right. and and you can um, yeah just do a push button. But that's uh, when when the model sort of came down and and showed the results. Do, moving away from something like a gas-fired char grill into a combi oven, really, really high efficiency, expensive combi oven, I must say. Um, they not only did they save half, you know fifty percent of the energy use, but they also produced a sort of more consistent product as well. And they're also beneficial for chefs that where English might not be their first language because it's literally a picture, the picture of a, um, a pie. Press that. And all the pies yeah. come out the same. So loads of other co-benefits that aren't just um, energy savings to be had from moving to sort of more modern kit. For the benefit of the audience today, can you share your website just verbally and we, we download it as part of the... Uh, yes, yeah, it's the Moody Method, the Moody Method, uh, .co.uk. But I'll, um, yeah, I'll certainly send you a link to that. Brilliant. Thank you very okay. much. And then let's talk about, you know, the, the, sorry gordon but the gordon ramses of this world <laughs> i had visions of you having these i've i've done some work in restaurants where it, i've had arguments it hasn't been a very nice place to be because <laughs> i've been i'm trying to get them to manage the worst thing for me is the grills um like the the rings as such where you go in my i had a famous story where i went into this hotel and he had all four rings on and the chef was screaming at the facilities or the maintenance guy saying, we need air conditioning. I need it now. And I said, all your four rings are on and you're not doing no cooking. I said, let me help you with your air conditioning. So I turned them off. I thought I was going to die, but I turned them off. And then the temperature started to drop for some strange reason. Yes, yes. But he was insistent he needed air conditioning. Yes, and I've I've had exactly that conversation many many times. God forbid you try to um, take the gas hob away from them completely, which is what I was trying to do with uh, with my model. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, yeah, well, I've, I've actually had a couple of kitchens. Things have changed a lot in the last few years, um, but in the the last couple of years since finishing my thesis, I've had a few operators um, contact me to go completely fossil fuel free. Um, which I never would have imagined could have even possibly happened sort of client led um, five years, certainly definitely 10 years ago, um, because they love their gas to cook on the sort of, and they like to put things like char grills right at the front of the kitchen as well. There's that real tendency to go for that sort of workhorse of the kitchen is on display and people can see that it's real meat being cooked. Um, but it's absolutely terrible to have the front of the kitchen removed. It's a nightmare for ventilation and um, kitchen ventilation systems are one of the absolutely like one of the worst things in the kitchen for um, uh, energy consumption. And then you've got the gas on top and then you've got the fact that it's really radiative. So it's, it's in your face and you're really, really hot. 
Um, so uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of problems with um, with cooking on gas, but I'm I'm starting to become quite optimistic that it will be phased out of this uh, this sector in the next decade or so. Um, mm. And I'm again, there's a lot of co-benefits to be had. So when I have these these arguments about gas hobs and um, and gas char grills. It's amazing how if you finally manage to break through and, and remove it within weeks, you know, saying, take that over my dead body. And then within weeks, they're saying, do you know what? This induction is amazing. Um, yeah. It's easier to clean and nobody's quite as hot anymore and it's more consistent. And if you just remove the pan from it, it just turns off on its own and, and all, all of the rest of the stuff. And especially gas tends to like vol volatilize a lot of the um, fat deposits as well. So it's not just the surface that needs cleaning, it's the whole space around it gets a bit fatty with um, with all the oils and things. And you just don't get that with um, with the electric cooking. So that that's a huge bonus that I'm hearing from people who have um, got the guts to uh, to remove it, or at least let me remove it. So, in Sam's world, is there a perfect kitchen that a hotel or a pub should have? There is. So, as I mentioned, this this two um, this two year project to develop this tool um, was the um, the catering carbon uh, calculator tool. Um, and it was developed with the Carbon Trust and a lot of industry bodies, um, British Hospitality at the time, um, and the Catering Equipment and Distribution Supply Associations and, and SIBSI as well, um, and obviously Reading University, M&B, and quite a few others. So I think there were about 10 different organisations all working with, with me on this tool. Um, and essentially it broke down what they were hoping to serve on an ingredient level basis, so everything in this tool took, say, a mixed grill, it would enter the parsley that was used to garnish it, the 100 grams of chips, the 50 grams sort of steak cutlets, the 200 grams um, of, uh, of uh, burger or whatever else was on it. And it would come up with the, the meal. And then it would take real sales data from the till downloads every half an hour slot. So it would say, how many of these mixed grills did you serve and when? And then at the back end, it would have all of the um, energy consuming appliances in the kitchen from from the moment it arrived until the moment that it, it went out. So the um, the walk ins, the um, service and preparation fridges, um, anything like wear washing, ventilation, cutlery polishers, and then obviously everything to prepare the food um, from sort of prep and, and frozen and um, fresh. And then also the um, sort of heated gantries, bain-maries, keeping the, the food warm. Um, so it, it took absolutely everything uh, and the kitchen ventilation as well, which was uh, quite a challenge to get that in. And then it would essentially produce this is what your kitchen uses per year. And it was validated against all the data that I, I got off um, right. all the monitoring for the first few years. Then it allowed me for the first time and still the only time from what I'm aware of to start to tweak it. So instead of going into a kitchen where it's, it's basically impossible to run a proper trial, an academic trial on fresh versus frozen if we move everything from frozen to fresh what's that going to do to our energy consumption we've never really been guided what should be frozen and what should be fresh just really the cost and what we can get hold of from breaks brothers or whoever else um so i started to tweak the fresh and frozen mix then i started to look at the um sort of operational decisions around whether or not they were going to cook to order or not because an awful lot of um say uh cheaper family restaurants might order pies that have been hot prepared somewhere else or at least the filling so were they going to cook everything in the morning and then just hot hold it 
Or were they going to say, get rid of all of the hot holding equipment and cook it all to order? How were they going to manage that kind of thing? So we started to look at a scenario for um, sort of cook on demand or cook earlier and turn off all of the cooking appliances and just have the warming stuff on. And then the more radical things, which let's just get rid of the child grill, see what that does. And um, it worked it all out on a capacity basis. So it has sort of grams per minute. Um, that were going through all these appliances. So I had a lot of a number of checks on it to look at the utilization. So whether or not um, the child grill was being used, 50% of the, the area was being used, which actually incidentally um, identified a load of other problems. So things like the steamer, which can take a huge volume of carrot batons at the same time, was actually only used for 4% of its capacity. So they always have a steamer, which is always on and pressurized, but it was only used for 4% of what it could be um so then it would look at also the char grill was used 120 percent of its capacity on sundays so then you, you start to get in the mindset of the chef that's desperate to have everything on all the time and get the food out but anyway they uh, at the end i ran seven different scenarios um and wrote up all of the findings for that and moving the char getting rid of the char grill completely that was going to save five million pounds worth of gas and a, a lot more emissions on top of that um and replacing it with two um, quite large uh, combi steam ovens, replacing electric fryers and gas fryers, um, replacing the gas hob with induction, and even that again. They haven't really used the hob that much. They thought they did, and all six burners were burning all the time. But really, it was just peas and eggs and some pasta. And yeah. you get an electric pasta cooker and do peas in the microwave. Well, Perhaps customers might not like to admit that peas can be done in the microwave, but that's how we do ours at home. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to start looking at all those things and it, it, it saved the, the, um, the scenario that looked at all of these things combined. Um, it saved 58 percent of the consumption of the kitchen. Now, each kitchen used about 250,000 kilowatt hours, about 28 grand worth of energy at the time. It'd be more like 50, 60 now per site. Um, so scaled up over the the case study chain, it was two million pounds a year savings to make that switch. And again, this is in old money. Um, so now it would be double that, It'd be about four million pounds per year for that chain. But the interesting thing is, I looked at that chain of restaurants was 300, uh, 300 quite popular restaurants in the in the UK. Um, if you scale it up to the 55,000 pub restaurants, that there are that's 1.5 billion pounds a year off of that sector so 1.5 billion pounds worth of savings from switching four appliances and the payback on that they are very expensive so of course i looked at that um they cost about twenty thousand pounds each some of these char grills so uh, some of these combi ovens um but it paid back in two and a half months so the paybacks in these kinds of projects are always very attractive, but you do need quite a lot of capital up front. And actually, for a while, the energy technology list hasn't included a lot of these things, but that is changing now. Yeah. Um, so there's been a big consultation for the last year and a half that I've been part of on how to get combi ovens into sort of um, more attractive um, sort of tax back type. What well, if we convert that monetary value into kilowatt hours and carbon? What's that figure? Do you know that? I do. So at the time, it was 37 million kilowatt hours for that chain. Um, oh, I wonder what that is across the sector. Um, so that was 300 sites. So that scaled up by 55,000 pubs. 
Um, so I'm not actually sure what that is off the top of my head. And it significant. Was 10... It's a significant yes. value, isn't it? Significant it is. Value. It's about 11 percent of the UK service sector's energy consumption. The last time I checked, which was a couple of years ago, but it was 11 percent of the UK service sector energy consumption. And that's because despite catering buildings being overlooked, probably because of their complexity and, and difficulty around the sort of behavior side of things, they're in every building. You know, from from offices to Ministry of Defence, from schools, universities, mm-hmm. hospitals, and then your actual cafes and your, your restaurants and yeah. things. Uh, they're a vital component of a low carbon town that really should be quite top priority. As I say, when you look at those benchmarks figures of kilowatt hours per meter squared, which is what sort of offices um, and supermarkets and theatres and everybody else are benchmarked by SIBSI, the a, a restaurant uses more than ten times what mm-hmm. the average energy consumption of a, a service building is um, or a retail building so um yeah the numbers are absolutely staggering so you can save 10 million kilograms of carbon through that one chain multiply that by about thirty thousand, and that's that's what you've got for the uh, for the sector so it really yeah. is vast there's an awful lot still to be done um and i'm definitely quite excited to to be doing that did you I remember from your presentation, did you convert the carbon into something more relatable with the organisation? Yes, yes. And I've, I've tried to do it a few times. I mean, this is the equivalent of taking a few million cars off of the road, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but specifically for um, your um, duty managers, the manager of each pub, it would be the equivalent of how many meals. So um, they care a lot about the covers, the number of, um, of people that you can fit in a restaurant at maximum capacity. Um, and they'll start, they always love to look at like for like sales. Um, and rather than looking at the profit, which is what I try to, to get people to look at, they're always looking at sort of driving the, the number of, of meals that they can turn out the door. Um, but something like switching a coffee machine off overnight um, for over a year is the equivalent of serving an additional 1,800 coffees. So when they get their heads around that, that is what's being wasted. And most yeah. people assume they can't turn the coffee machine off because they haven't for so long that it will break when they do it. Yeah. Um, but actually, even if it broke and you got a new one, as wasteful as that sounds, then um, you'd save enough money to buy about 400 coffee machines by the end of the year just from exactly. turning off the water boiler overnight so um yeah trying to put it in terms of the number of meals or drinks that you could serve to gain that profit back um it's 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 very compelling yeah so sam we've come to that stage of the podcast where i like to put my um guest on the spot and I sort of put you on the spot right at the beginning because I see your eyes go a bit funny. Oh dear. Is there anything you can give back to our industry today as a takeaway from your experience in this industry? Well, specifically, I feel really lucky because, I mean, Mitch was about this, the whole project and the team that I work with cha- changed my life significantly by letting me play with their, their entire estate, really. Um, but that sector find it really hard to share this information because it's so competitive and the project uh, profit margins are so small. It is difficult for them to say, you know what, we tried this and it didn't work and we tried this and it did and, and start sharing that information. But I was lucky that they let me. So obviously I have these papers on my website. I will talk to anyone for free to get them to, to uh, consider how they could save money and uh, how we can keep the, the sector afloat. Um, 
but certainly the the whole team and the university sort of uh, allowed me to champion the freedom of information so now there i have published data on what a grill would use so if they don't have the money to go out and do some expensive uh, monitoring at the moment with times being so tight i can provide for free a load of data on um mm-hmm. this, this particular grill or these particular um hobs so they can start to have a look um and certainly if i can uh, turn the tool that i developed into a more sexy sophisticated piece of software then there will be facility for them to think well we serve this food what is the lowest template kitchen that we can we can come up with to get this out of the door um to really relate food to energy for the first time really and if i was you on day one what would you be telling me now oh goodness me um I think that it's uh, the, the monitoring side of things is so important that it, it's hard at the time to think of what the return on investment would be at in, installing loads of meters and getting over all of the calibration problems and the inevitable nightmares of where's that data coming from. But uh, an, an early doors, good survey with some metering that will pay back, even if you can't put a financial um, amount on it, it will certainly pay back in um possibly avoiding the insanity of going round and round in circles calculating it all um so i'd say i was lucky enough on day one that the team had already set about installing amr in in the entire mitchells and butler's estate um but certainly it is worth the money to to then be able to effectively measure any appliance and technology uh change but also even you know the behavior change you can really engage people by having them see that their their own data um hourly or or every evening or or just every week on a report Mm -hmm. um so i'd certainly say monitor monitor the hell out of absolutely everything measure Um, measure measure yeah yeah sam i've i could listen to your story all day i've that's the third time i've heard that story absolutely awesome um you've done a brilliant job there and i hope it does continue and there's more to come out of it i sort of relate to a lot of that um so i'd like to thank you very much for joining us today and sharing that story um we are going to share your website again um on our sort of our links etc um this this goes out and we share your um your linkedin so people please go and connect with uh, sam on linkedin and ask her the questions that we need to know um so sam thank you very much for joining us and i'd like to say just lastly you and your family please be safe in these times thank you very much thanks for your time thank you